Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is Match Week 28. I am here with my co-host, Ethan. Happy to be here. And we had a little bit of fun this match week. A couple of upsets, a lot of, a lot of late uh, equalizers against teams that I like to root against. So <laughs> no, nothing really wrong with that. But before we get into all of that, as is tradition on this podcast, we must mourn the passing of yet another manager. Not the death, but the sacking. And that is of... A manager near and dear to, to Arsenal fans' hearts, Sir Patrick Vieira of Crystal Palace has gotten the boot after a very, very poor run of form for Crystal Palace. No wins in seven, eight, at least. Uh, it, it's been a pretty poor run of form, and we could pretty much see this one coming, Ethan. Yeah, you could see it coming a little bit. I think almost any other manager with this sort of form is usually gone, like you say, without a win in 2023. But it seemed like they were going to put a bit more faith in Vieira. I think he has done a really good job with this Crystal Palace team. I mean, they're in 12th right now. Mind you, that's only four points clear of 20th place Southampton. But I still don't see them in any real danger in the relegation battle maybe palace are just looking to get a bit ahead of the curve don't really want to wait until it's too late Mm -hmm. but i really don't feel like it's necessary for them to go into relegation battle mode i think they definitely could have stuck with Vieira for at least a couple more games especially since after this arsenal game their next six are all against teams 13th or lower in the table you lose one or two of those games. Mm-hmm. I think they maybe have Wolves next week. Yeah. Um. No, they have Leicester after next the, week. Uh, then, after the break, yeah, I think it's... Yeah, after yeah, the break. And after that, it's just all teams who are in that bottom nine. So I yeah. definitely think he could have gotten a little bit more time, but in the Premier League, it's not something you often get. Yeah, I mean... we Crystal Palace is like you know, one of the most inconsistent teams in the league, even with the best of managers, even, you know, the Hodgson days, they they were still, like, just some very good performances, some very bad performances. And that's part of the reason why, like you said, I, I don't really have any fear that they're going to be even threatening relegation just because they do have those good performances in them. They have some studs on that team. Like, Gahey's still good. Tarek Mitchell's good up front. Zaha, Eze have been good this year. Probably not recently, but um, like these are these are good players, and they have some really, really like borderline stunning performances in them. Sometimes um, we just haven't. We've just had a a decent amount of time since we've had one of those, and I think that's kind of what maybe ticked off the uh, the board a little bit. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I I think a lot of Arsenal fans were uh, were dreading having the uh, having to like. Put having the Arsenal win this weekend potentially put Patrick Vieira out of his misery. Um, so maybe I think I think I'm a little glad that it was done beforehand, so yeah. that it wasn't the <laughs> the, the nail in the coffin. Uh, Ars- yeah, that wasn't Arsenal that pulled the trigger. Um, but yeah, it, again, like they do have some really good performances in them with this squad, and I think that we might come to see a couple more of those under a new manager. I'm assuming that 
Well, I'm not assuming. There are a lot of names being thrown around right now, like bringing Hodgson back, for example. Yeah. Um, which, first of all, let that man retire. Like, <laughs> we, we got to let him go, man. He's like 83 years old. Don't want him dying in office. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, there have been some names thrown around. I honestly could see them going with an interim manager for a little bit. I, I mean, it is March, 10 match weeks left. They could go interim for the last 10 games if they don't see themselves going down which right now is is it's a threat but it's not it's not like they're sitting 16th um so if they go interim till the end of the year and then find a manager in the summer uh i could definitely see that but it does seem like they're ahead of the game when it comes to a manager search so we could see you know hodson there i saw jesse marsh's name thrown around a little bit too i can't really see that after his failure at leeds but um i don't know he would also have to bring in, like, it would be annoying for Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney yeah. to have to change clubs again. So, um, and maybe maybe they could free Pulisic while he's at it. I don't know. You know they have Chris Richards I, in there, so <laughs> that's a start. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I set to see Vieira go. I don't think this is going to be his last managerial job. No, I think he will yeah. find a home somewhere else, maybe, maybe back in France. But um, with that... We will get into some Match Week 28 coverage, starting off with the Worst Team Wins update. If you are unfamiliar with the Worst Team Wins competition, it is a season-long competition between me and Ethan, where before the season, me and Ethan drafted teams, snake draft style, um, of players in the FPL system with price tags on them, and we need to fill a starting 11 in fantasy, 80 million worth, of players that we thought were going to perform the worst throughout the season, not the best. So far, Ethan's team has performed much worse than mine, so he is in the lead, but he's going to give us the update right now. Yeah, not a ton of points to update you on this week because a lot of the fixtures obviously were postponed due to the FA Cup. But I narrowly edged out this week by two points. My team, Garnacho Cheese, had 18 this week, and Braden's team, Jesus Dive for our top ends, had 16 points. I believe 15 of those 18 points were courtesy of Bukayo Saka. So, <laughs> um, actually, Brayden narrowed out this week because he did have less points. So, yeah, two points. Not- I need. I need. To, I, I'm gonna need your team to start performing because clearly I'm putting in some fantastic worst. Day. Like under 20 points is good, and I've put up under 20 points in like six of the last seven weeks, and yet I've made up like. 30 points maybe so i need your team to start performing i'm doing my job over here i need your team to start performing yeah you definitely need some performances on my team because right now brain's team is on 988 points and my team is on 843 so that is a 145 point gap i'm trying to think is diaz coming back anytime soon or is he done for the year luis diaz i think he is back he's just like not in the starting front three not in favor well yeah i mean he's still he's still on his way back and you know yeah. sala gakpo nunez they're starting to click so. i mean he was the best player it was like player of the season until he got injured Listen, so. they have an embarrassment of riches i mean diogo jota is really yeah. good too and he can't really yeah. get into starting 11 anyway let's move on to some true match week 28 coverage starting off with Southampton 3, Tottenham 3, a six-goal thriller. Starting off with 
a Pedro Porro 45th plus one, dare I say banger. He hit it very hard in off the crossbar from about nine yards out. He completely smashed it. Keeper, really no chance in that kind of range. Yeah. Um, Pedro Porro's, I believe, I'd imagine first goal for Tottenham Hotspur. Mm. Um, and then shortly after halftime, Shea Adams equalized in the 46th from who else? A Theo Walcott cross. Then Harry Kane takes the lead in the 65th. No more than 12 minutes later, Theo Walcott equalizes for Southampton. Who would have thought Theo Walcott was going to score? Um, but me. Uh, and then Ivan Paris. Well, no, it wasn't. No. It wasn't the Theo Walcott equalizer. It was Ivan Perisic taking a 3-1 lead. Tottenham fans thinking they were home and dry. Theo Walcott saying not so fast. 3-2 in the 77th. And then, of course, the controversial James Ward-Prowse. 93rd minute penalty kick penalty or no penalty ethan this is honestly one where i still don't know i still don't have a concrete opinion on this one yeah there it's one of those where i think only the player can know if it was enough contact yeah for him to go down i definitely saw contact there was one angle where you could see not necessarily the leg move but you could see like the sock like yeah. the, like where it was yeah. <laughs> yeah so honestly i don't know Pro- it probably wasn't uh, i'm yeah still a little bit arsenal bias trying to justify that pen, yeah, 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 but yeah. it probably wasn't can't know for sure um huh. i don't know if var should have overturned it necessarily because again if they are going with the clear and obvious uh, clause, which they yeah. rarely do. But if they are, <laughs> they're making some attempt, then maybe that's what kind of skewed them away from changing the decision. So, yeah, honestly, this is one of those where I really couldn't tell you for sure. Yeah, I, I honestly agree with all of the refereeing decisions for this penalty, but I don't think it was a penalty. And let me explain. It absolutely looked like a penalty in in real time. And if I was the referee in that game, I would have blown the whistle for a penalty because it's sure as hell in real time. I don't know if you're watching in real time, but it looked like yeah. a penalty. Um, Upon further review, I don't think it was a penalty, but I also don't think it was clear and obvious. So I agree, actually, with all the way it was refereed. I It looked like a penalty, but it wasn't clear and obvious to overturn. It should have been a penalty, judging by the way it looked. However, upon further review, I think he didn't make contact. And if it was in contact, I I can't imagine it was enough. Um, But again, not clear and obvious. Yeah. So not overturnable. It's one. So I. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those where it's just so subjective and you don't want VAR to become re-refereeing. Like, it's just so that. VAR, the purpose of it is to catch, you know, refereeing mistakes, something mm-hmm. that the ref may have missed. Just because two refs don't, you know, agree on one call doesn't mean that one call is necessarily objectively yeah. wrong. So, like you said, mm-hmm. because it's subjective in that way, you can't really overturn it. Yeah. Nonetheless, it finishes 3-3 at St. Mary's. Tottenham dropped 2 to Southampton. A big points for Southampton getting those 20th place superpowers. Let's let's check back in with Braden's prediction from the week before. What did he say first? He said that Southampton would lose to Brentford and he lost to Brentford midweek. What was his follow-up prediction? 
He said Southampton would beat Tottenham, not draw, but beat Tottenham and Theo Walcott would score. What happened was Southampton drew to Tottenham and Theo Walcott was damn near man of the match. I think that's close enough. But I didn't. Did I hit the nail directly on the head? Not quite, but I got most of it. I thought you said they just dropped points, which maybe, maybe I, I'm forgetting. I but. said I did say Southampton win. Okay. Um, I thought they were going to use their superpowers to get the Southampton <laughs> to get the. I thought it was going to be one nil with Theo Walcott. Mm-hmm. Um, was my exact prediction. But you know, I think I, you know, got the gist of it right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. It, it just like one of those games, and I, and it went exactly like I predicted it to. Southampton uh, go to Brentford midweek, perform like a twentieth place team, lose, come back home, game they can get up for. Big sixteen comes to town, put up a fight. Like it, it, it's so it happens so often in the Premier League, especially nowadays with all these teams in twentieth place now picking up points all of a sudden. Like it. It just seemed like one of those games, and it almost played out exactly like that. Southampton had more fight in them than Spurs did, and we'll get to the the Conte reaction in a second. But it it certainly, I, I I don't agree with Conte saying what he said, but I agree with what he meant. Like it it, it was clear that Southampton wanted it more on the day, um, and it, it's switching over to Spurs. Spursy this season. Yeah, it's a, there's often no better way to describe it. Uh, yeah, the main story really coming from this game is Conte's comments. Uh, him calling his players selfish, saying that they're not playing for anything important and that they don't want to play under pressure. Says that the same thing happens every season at Spurs, regardless of manager, which that part, I guess, you know, is true. But yeah. I think <laughs> the most important theme of that whole conference is that he was saying they instead of we he was speaking as if tottenham as if he wasn't a part of you know tottenham hotspur football club and i i defended conte last week saying that spurs need to give him more time they need to be more patient with him but i i can't defend conte's comments (laughs) here now i'm not saying that he's not wrong (laughs) Because most of it that's is, the, is right. that, yeah, that's the like that's the like thing in the back of my head where I'm like, I don't agree with how he did mm-hmm. it, but nothing he said was necessarily untrue. No, no, all of it has <laughs> some degree of truth to it. Most of it, a large degree of truth. Yeah. However, you're in this mess, and <laughs> you are at fault in some part. Not totally. A lot of it is not his fault, and he definitely does need time, like he was saying last week. But he is a part of it, and it's his job to help turn it around. And him yeah. calling out his players, this isn't like a, you know, a call to action. Like, no, this is just straight up just criticism. Just saying that his players <laughs> are just not good enough. They don't have the right mentality. That's something that you just don't do in the media. It may not even be effective yeah. saying it just in your dressing room. Maybe it is, but to just call out your players you know in front of everybody um i can't see how if i'm a tottenham player i'm looking at that conference and feeling more motivated about this season. and the thing and the thing is the situation really isn't that dire like they're right in the (laughs) middle of the top four race i mean just look at chelsea you think potter was saying this stuff when they didn't have a win in like 
eight games and they were sitting 10th, which, I mean, they still are, but they're playing better. Yeah. Like, yeah. he dealt with it on the training ground, you know, behind closed doors, and he's starting to turn it around. I, I don't know why. Conte's frustrated, clearly. Conte yeah. is used to a higher level of success, but uh-huh. this just wasn't a smart move from him. That uh, You said it perfectly. Like, what's so confusing about it is, like, they're fifth like they're fourth what are they fourth they're like, fourth <laughs> like, they're still fourth. yeah like like they 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 still have like they, he needs performances from his players and he basically just outed them in front of the whole fucking english media like it they he still needs to get more out of, i mean maybe this is his way of waking his players up and maybe say like I, he maybe he said it 10 times behind closed doors and nobody's listening so he needs to go to the media so maybe the fans will come after his team like i don't i don't know what his logic was behind this but clearly there was a lot because he's i don't know i haven't really followed antonio's antonio conte's career that closely i don't know if he has a history of just outing his players at whatever club he's been at but like as long as i've seen antonio conte manage this is not, I mean, he, he, he's a real guy. He says it how it is, yeah. but this is unique, especially, not especially for him, but even for him. Um, so clearly there was, there's a lot that has built up that has to, and then eventually like boiling point, like it, it, this didn't just come from nowhere. This is, this is, this was coming. Maybe he said it on the training ground. Maybe he's tried to get into his players' heads by, you know, benching players yelling at players i know he's had this back and forth with richarlison recently even before this um but like i don't know it just seems like there was a lot more behind the scenes that eventually led up to this becoming a public thing for conte um but yeah it just like if they're sitting seventh and just like all of a sudden brighton's fulham's liverpool's are climbing over them then i'm like okay now i gotta like spark something then i wouldn't agree with it but i would get it they're like he needs he needs performances out of his players and is really outing them in front of the media the best way to do it i can't imagine it is now i'm not a professional manager but i just can't imagine it is and if this leads to an absolute tank from tottenham because their morale is so low and they end up fifth sixth with newcastle who oh by the way with their games at hand could easily overtake them in fourth and liverpool who are hot on their heels like if this leads to an absolute tank, then well, I don't know. It certainly Conte should lose some reputation for it, as successful as he's been. But yeah, it just it just seems like the objective wrong thing to do. Even if he's what he's saying is right, just the mm-hmm. wrong thing to do. Yeah, I think you make a good point with saying that there must be a lot more going on behind the scenes because, mm-hmm. like we already said, we're looking at the table here. They're in fourth right now, and they're you know right in the middle of the top four race, definitely with. For them, 10 games remaining, still in a very good position to get Champions League. So there definitely has to be a lot more going on behind the scenes. I know that um, I was reading some Fabrizio Romano tweets this afternoon. Mm -hmm. And according to him, he said Conte's plans to leave at the end of the season were already clear after the UCL defeat. So, you know what? That's interesting because maybe he's just like, fuck it. Like. I'm out the door yeah, anyway. Like, that, I can say whatever I want. Those were the comments of a person with one foot out the door and not much to lose. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, giving the middle finger to everyone around the office on the way out. Like, 
it, it just yeah you're right if with that putting that into context like that it kind of doesn't make sense but if if the if i had a foot out the door it'd certainly make me more inclined to just out everybody and say you know fuck all of you but yeah um yeah that's interesting yeah he's saying his players don't seem to be up for it he doesn't seem to be up for it either yeah so seriously with that we will move on to our second game of the match week chelsea to everton to another late equalizer against a big six team to drop points starting off with Jao Felix in the 52nd minute. Bit of a slow start to this game. Chelsea not being able to break down Everton. And then eventually, Jao Felix left footed strike in off the post. A very nice finish, I must say, uh, to take the 1 0 lead. Then Abdullah Decore off a corner kind of scramble ish type deal. It was, uh, you know, a parlay of headers. Ball ended up crossing the line by a couple of inches, but that's all you need. 1 1 into the 76th minute. Where there's a Kaya Havertz penalty. This one, I could see more of a penalty. Yeah. Yeah. This one seems pretty more, pretty straightforward. Arguably two penalties in one play. I think both Godfrey <laughs> and Coleman may have been both responsible, but at least one yeah. of them was. So good call. <laughs> Nonetheless, it only counts for one. <clears throat> one that Kai Havertz would slot away in the 76 to make it 2 1. And then Ellis Sims. A player that I had not heard of until he put this ball in the net. Um, equalizes in the 89th minute. Quite a nice finish at that. Blows by the defender. Tucked in the far post in the 89th to equalize for Everton. And it would finish 2-2 at Stamford Bridge. Yet another set of drop points for Chelsea. Um, just when you thought that they might be hitting some stretch of form. They go ahead and drop points to... A relegation threatened team. Um, kind of just same old? Yeah, a little bit of the same old, but I'm sure Chelsea fans are going to be disappointed with having let two points slip away, obviously, at home against a team like Everton. Yeah. But I think there is positives to take away for Chelsea in that I don't know how important those points really are. Like, I don't even know if Chelsea fans want to play in Conference League. <laughs> like, <laughs> If it's Conference League or nothing, I, I'd probably choose nothing. For a club yeah. of Chelsea size, like, yeah, you want to win a trophy and they'd probably win it, but I think the ability to focus on the Premier League and mm -hmm. other competitions with just how many new players you have coming into the squad, the most important thing for this Chelsea team is just finding that cohesion and it's still going to mm -hmm. take some time so no european soccer next year may be the best thing for them so i don't know if they really want to push for seventh place because i yeah. think top six is out of the question for them it doesn't seem completely unfeasible but realistically i don't know if they're gonna jump yeah. either liverpool or newcastle on the table so they would have to hit a crazy run for them yeah so i don't think points are that important for them i think it's really the performances and this was a decent performance obviously it had its flaws you can see to the everton but they were on top for most of the game and you can definitely sense again just more cohesion in this team a more consistent starting 11 
you can see these last three games, Potters had like a 3-4-3. Reese James is back. Chilwell's back. Definitely a big boost for yeah. them. Huge boost. So it's not the end of the world. And, there's def- and obviously for Everton, a lot of positives to get a point at Stamford Bridge to score two goals in the game for Sean Dyche side. <laughs> That's a big yeah. uh, bonus. And just the show of resolve and resiliency is what you yeah. need in a relegation battle. And we know that Everton can hold it down, you know, in the defensive end. But, you know, I wasn't convinced that this Sean Dice team could go and get a goal when they really need it. And, you know, they proved that they can. So I think both of these sides have some positives to take away from this one. Yeah, that's, that's actually a good point. Um, but, yeah, it just feels when you talk about the whole like no Euro, uh, European competition. Um, like you think about like um last season with Arteta, not the same position but similar position, kind of um no a lot of new signings it wasn't, coming into the team yeah, yeah new signings uh younger team um newer manager this isn't this isn't like a long tenured manager um the Arteta was there for two years at the time but uh you know Potter will have been there for six months um. But it, there's a lot of similarities, and you sh- it showed how much that helped uh, Arteta's team last year. Poor start, but they hit an incredible run of form, and which has continued into this season. And now they're they're title favorites. So, um, I I think that it could end up working out for Chelsea if they do finish ninth, eighth, um, and and avoid that Conference League because. <clears throat> While the Conference League does have its bonuses, you know, it's essentially like a like preseason tournament where you can more or less throw out some of these young players yeah. which wouldn't get playing time normally, you know, Batty Shield and guys like that. Um where and you can't get them playing time. So you can keep them happy. God knows they're gonna have some squad headaches coming up next season, um, depending on what they do over the summer, um, with, you know, outgoings and such. Um but yeah, I think it could work out in Chelsea's favor should they finish 8th, 9th, 10th, um, as it did for Arsenal. So, not all bad. And I think I said that before, that um, it, it this whole, you know, weird, terrible Chelsea season could actually catapult them into having a pretty good season next year. So, yeah. um, with that, we will wrap up the Premier League Match Week 28. With some scores from around the grounds. A couple matches postponed this week. Liverpool, Fulham, Brighton, Man United, and City West Ham all postponed. So, only a couple more games to cover. Starting off with the Friday match. Well, we can start off with the, the midweek match. Uh, both of them. Southampton, nil. Brentford, 2. Ivan Tony in the 32nd. And Johan Visa in the 97th to put it out of reach. Um, nice two points for Brentford. Again, it just seemed like Southampton wouldn't really get up to this game. I'm, I think I said Southampton were away they're actually home for this game too um so both games at home uh but again like it didn't Brentford doesn't have that same kind of like you know aura to it the Brentford Brentford at home doesn't have that same you know big six aura to it so that's why I kind of thought that they they wouldn't be able to get up for it um and Brentford did the business as they've done plenty of times this season Brighton won Crystal Palace nil this was the game that was the technical nail in the coffin for Patrick Vieira um, a one nothing loss away from home for Crystal Palace. Sully Marsh in the fifteenth minute. Brighton get the job done yet again. They sit seventh, 
tied on points with Liverpool with a game in hand. Um, game in hand on Newcastle, five points behind Newcastle in fifth. So if they win their game in hands, they will sit two points behind Newcastle in fifth. And if they win all their games at hand, they will actually pass Tottenham in fourth. So they could sit fifth if they win all their games in hand. And Tottenham will go to sixth, which is very interesting to think about. Um, moving on. Nottingham Forest, one. Newcastle, two. A 93rd minute penalty from Alexander Izak. His brace on the day would give Newcastle all three points uh, over Emmanuel Dennis's 26th minute goal. Which, honestly, I am... Side note. I'm disappointed with how Emmanuel Dennis has played this season. I thought he was going to be a really good signing for Nottingham Forest. He had a good season last year with Watford. And I, I thought he was going to be kind of this, like, impact player. But Well, he didn't have to compete with, like, 18 other strikers for a <laughs> starting role last season. So uh, I'm cutting I mean, him a bit of slack, yeah, that's but true. yeah, a bit underwhelming. He was, I mean, he had a pretty good season last year for, uh, for no, Watford. And yeah, yeah, and he's, like, been in and out of the squad. He hasn't gotten that many minutes. Um, but yeah, did get on the score sheet today. Wasn't enough in the end as his ex-brace. Gets all three for Newcastle, bearing down on Tottenham in fourth. Brentford won, Leicester won. A Mateus Jensen 32nd minute goal would give Brentford the one nothing advantage before Harvey Barnes equalized in the 52nd, and it would end 1-1. A Shandon Baptiste 92nd minute red card would have no effect on the game. In the end, one shot on target for Leicester City, two shots on target for Brentford. Apologies to all those watching this game. Um, you actually got lucky because 66% of the shots that were on target actually went in the net. So this could have gone much worse for, for casual spectators. <laughs> but in the end, 1-1 uh, draw for Leicester City and Brentford. Aston Villa 3, Bournemouth nil. These are the kinds of performances that I was more expecting from an Unai Emery team. Douglas Louise gets it all started early in the 7th, and then Jacob Ramsey in the 80th, Emiliano Buendia in the 89th to seal the deal, and just a very convincing performance Massive Villa, performance that we know that they're capable of when they host teams like Bournemouth. Um, speaking of Bournemouth, they sit 19th, tied with West Ham in 18th, but West Ham has a game in hand on them. West Ham is actually on 26 games well. Bournemouth and 19th are on 27, Leicester on 27, and then Nottingham Forest also on 27 and 16th. And finally, oh, not finally, Wolves 2, Leeds United 4, a six-goal thriller. Four goals for Leeds United, which I didn't think was going to happen. Four goals for Leeds United, two, goal, two goals for Wolves, along with two red cards. Um, so a lot of crazy emotions going on this week players managers all over the place and we'll get to that in a second um the more managed more red card drama i want to get to the fa cup stuff but jack harrison in the sixth and luke ailing in the 49th would give Leeds united the two nothing advantage before christensen gives him the three to that thing advantage in the 62nd then johnny in the 65th mateus cunha in the 73rd to make it 3-2 and then rodrigo moreno the nail in the coffin, 4-2 Leeds United in the 97th minute, and that's how it would finish. Wolves 66% possession. Very interesting for a team that conceded four goals. They, uh, I'm assuming I didn't watch a second of this game, but 
I can almost assume that Leeds United scored on almost every attack that they may have they had. They scored every threatening from chance all that they four may have shots had. on target. <laughs> yeah, all four shots on target. Um, to Wolves eight. In fact, actually, then, hold on. I think I saw the expected goals from this game, and it was <laughs> yeah. Wolves had two point eight seven expected goals. Leeds one point three three. So that is a uh, yeah efficiency. <laughs> Yeah, Jesse Marsh must have been the problem. <laughs> um, nonetheless, Wolves get a very, very valuable three points. They catapult up into 14th place, three places clear of the relegation zone, and, tw- and two points clear of the relegation zone on 27, which is important because there are some on 28 and some on 26. And finally, Arsenal 4, Crystal Palace 1, Arsenal hold serve yet again. Gabriel Martinelli in the 28th, Bukayo Saka in the 43rd, Granite Xhaka in the 55th, then the Jeffrey Schlupp pulls Jeffrey Schlupp pulls him back in the 63rd for Crystal Palace before Bukayo Saka gets his brace in the 74th to put matters way out of reach. Um, another dominant, classy performance from Arsenal. Really, again, not much more to say. Everybody kind of on board with this one. I think one of the things that I, I would even say is uh, that I enjoyed Kieran Tierney's performance because um, I know that he's had a rough go of it off the pitch, and he he's one of those players that had a tough time settling in when he first moved to London, and now he's not getting playing time because Zinchenko's taking the spot. So it's nice to see him come in, uh, get some good minutes. Obviously, Rob Holding, Holdini, getting yeah. his first start in a while, um, putting in a, a pretty solid performance with the exception of uh, a pretty awkward Jeffrey Schlepp goal probably would have had a uh, a nice clean sheet to his name as well but yeah next man up for Arsenal sleep went down with the back injury it's a little bit uh you know undefined when he's going to come back hopefully soon because that the gap between Saliba and holding maybe not defensively but certainly uh on the ball is pretty huge and there's going to be some testy games coming up down the stretch for a young Arsenal team that completely folded last time they had a, a, a testy stretch. So um, I'd like them to have, as an Arsenal fan, I'd like them to have at least, uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Saliba back. Um, I'd like to, I mean, Tomiyasu, unfortunately, bad news, has just been ruled out for the season with the knee injury. Um, but it's going to be, very testy down the stretch, and if injuries start piling up, it's it could get ugly. So ever since Ten Hag decided to open his fucking mouth about uh, <laughs> Arsenal's lack of injuries this season, which isn't even true because we lost Jesus and yeah. Party for our big matches. So, but yeah, yeah this yeah, is yeah. Ten Hag's fault. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we will round out our Premier League coverage for this week. We will slip into a bit of an FA Cup roundup gearing up for the semifinals at Wembley, starting off with Manchester City 6, Burnley 0. Holland back-to-back hat-tricks. Guardiola puts away his protege, Vincent Kompany, at home. The two smile and handshake at, ha- at full-time, obviously, but this one was a rout as only a you know potential best team in the world versus championship team game might go. Uh, Sheffield United two, Sheffield Sheffield United three, Blackburn two, an absolute screamer to win it in stoppage time from Tommy Doyle. Sheffield United find their way miraculously 
at Wembley. I believe they get Manchester City for their troubles. Yes, they do. <laughs> um, who just dispatched the other champ- championship opponent 6-0. So we'll see how that goes. Average Man City FA um, Cup matchup in the semifinal. <laughs> Although, to be fair, they did have to face Chelsea and Arsenal in the early round. So I'll, I'll give them that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. seriously, um, uh, two championship sides in the quarterfinals and <laughs> in the semifinal. Come on. Sometimes FA Cup runs. I've, I've seen enough FA Cup runs, especially Arsenal ones, to know that sometimes it's not about how you play. It's about who you play. Yeah. Um, Brighton 5, Grimsby Town nil. You know, nice round of applause for Grimsby Town for the run they had. No one expected them to get this far, certainly. A bit of a Cinderella story, but Brighton kind of was having none of that on the day. Uh, 5-0 was the final. They just outclassed by a good Brighton team. And finally, uh, if you didn't see what happened, I suggest you go back, pause the podcast, and go watch it for yourself. But... Manchester United 3, Fulham 1, but it wasn't really the scoreline that was the big deal. It was what caused the scoreline, because there was a pretty wild, chaotic couple of minutes in here that saw William sent off for a handball on the goal line, proceeded immediately by Marco Silva getting sent off for dissent at the fourth official, not even the main <laughs> official, the fourth official. Um, and then Mitrovic decided to get physical with the referee which is the most obvious red card in the book. He gets sent off. It's sent to the showers with his manager and his left winger. Um, Fulham go down to nine men. Needless to say, United go on to win the game. (laughs) Yeah, I saw saw that Fulham had two red cards and obviously Marco Silva, two getting sent off. I'm like, okay, well, that happened like three minutes ago. Maybe... Maybe they held off United for like a couple of minutes, but damn, it was 2-1 in a matter of moments. So, yeah, it, it escalated pretty quickly in that game. Yeah. Mitrovic, <clears throat> I mean, what are you thinking, dude? Like, I mean, he is a hothead, but like, come on. Like, <laughs> did you really think that was going to help? <laughs> like, manager sent off, left winger sent off. Like, what did you think you were changing? by just like screaming at the ref i don't know i mean it's understandable to be frustrated in those moments but i think the bigger thing that i've seen on social media is that bruno fernandez did the exact same thing against United with uh like the side official where he just like shoved them when he was like five nil down so yeah oh yeah uh, fernandez yeah, yeah well here, here's the thing about that um also like there's a little bit of controversy over like, I don't know whether the red cards were just. All three of them were extremely just. Like to get that out of the way, they were all deserved. The Mitrovic one, obviously, but the Willian one was just a clear red handball. And then Marco Silva, I'm not sure exactly what he said, but it, uh, he, he was pretty angry and um, probably said something he shouldn't have. So they were all very just. And then they people started comparing, like you're about to say, people started comparing this Mitrovic red card, especially because it was against. <clears throat> Manchester United with that Bruno Fernandez push of the uh the AR um I, yeah. I think that was the Liverpool game um and that one I I I agree I don't really agree I think that Bruno Fernandez one should have been a yellow because you're not supposed to t- touch the official and clearly it was out of frustration and he pushed the official um it should have been a yellow card I think I- I'm not sure why the 
the AR that was pushed didn't communicate that to the middle referee that he was pushed because he has a mic and can say that. Um, but nonetheless, it shouldn't have been a red. I, I don't. I don't think if you gave him a red, I would have said like okay, like maybe it was a more forceful push than what met the eye. But I I don't think that one deserved the red. The Mitrovic one was clear and obvious and like just what are you doing? Um, the Fernandez one was kind of just out of frustration. He probably didn't yeah. even really mean it. So. That's what I'll say about that. <clears throat> and that would set up a nice, tasty Manchester United-Brighton semifinal at Wembley. I will be sure to watch that one because that should be a fantastic game. I think Brighton could sneak in a FA Cup trophy. You know, one game, who knows? Maybe a penal- win on penalties against City in the final. They sneak past United uh against the in the semifinal maybe 2-1 something like that Kairou Matoma 78th minute winner and then maybe like a 1-1 against the uh, Man City and then win on penalties I could see it I I I'm rooting for Brighton I think they they played so well this season that they deserve a trophy and it would be amazing if they could pull off the FA Cup yeah it'd be hard to say that Brighton aren't capable of beating any team in England <clears throat> right now at least so yep. yeah who knows Definitely room for him. With that, we will finish off with the goal picks. As we we won't be doing any uh, what's it called? Um, any match week twenty nine predictions this week because we do have a nice, tasty international break podcast coming up. We're gonna do a little bit of a, a March Madness bracket style podcast. Um, but. We're going to do our predictions, uh, matching 28 uh, goal picks and predictions at the end of that podcast. We're going to save that for that. Uh, But we will give the goal picks update to see how we fared this week, Ethan. Yeah. So this was probably, it was a goal fest this week between me and Brayden. Both of us had some pretty good picks. Uh, Two goals for me, courtesy of Bakayo Saka. And three goals for Brayden this week. One, courtesy of Ivan Tony against Southampton, and two from Alexander Isak uh, against Nottingham Forest. So that slightly lessens the deficit for Braden, who has 19 goals on the season, but still seven behind me with 26 goals this season. I thought this was the week. I thought this was... Because uh, Tony and Isak played first. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I, I thought I thought this was the week. I thought uh, Tony got his midweek, and then Izak got his two on Friday. And I'm like, this is the comeback. It starts now. Yeah. And then Zaka, of course, nets two against Palace, and there goes that. Yep. Just can never quite seem to make up <laughs> too much ground in these competitions. Either of them, honestly. Yeah. Um, but with that, we will sign off for this podcast again. Look out for that international break podcast uh, coming up next week. Should be a fun one. We're, uh, we're I'm excited for it. A little bracket style stuff. Me and Ethan will debate back and forth about some uh, <clears throat> this or that. We haven't really decided exactly the uh, the topic of the of the bracket, but mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna make it interesting, debated, controversial, heated debate. It might ruin our friendship. I don't even know. <laughs> um, we'll see. Um, we're gonna, definitely going to want to tune in for that. But with that, we will sign off. Adios. See ya.